So who do we trust, huh? Like always, me and Dick. Yes, you guessed it. We watched Bloodbath. <laughs> there is an amazing fan vid about the episode Bloodbath set to Dreamweaver. A very psychedelic. And we watched that just a few minutes ago after we finished watching Bloodbath. Vid by TM Productions, by the way. Thank you. By the way, this is me and D and Three, a Starsky and Hutch fan podcast. I'm Jen. I'm Rachel. And I'm Monica. The reason I watched Bloodbath was that I picked up a copy of the script from ShareCon when Flamingo was getting rid of the lending library. There were a few scripts in there, so I grabbed the Bloodbath because I really like that episode. Although while watching it, I realized how little I remember of the episode. There's a bear. <laughs> Do you guys remember that there's a bear in this Starsky and Hutch episode? Because I didn't. That I did remember. <laughs> yes, I remember that too. But it was really nice to rewatch it. And man, the script had some pretty big differences. Oh, yeah. But that's a teaser because that's going to be after we talk about some Starsky and Hutch news. The biggest Starsky and Hutch rumor was uh, reported by The Sun. So take this with not just a grain of salt, but a whole shaker of salt. <laughs> but apparently David Soule, at an award ceremony that he attended recently, told The Sun that he and Paul Michael Glazer were planning a Starsky and Hutch reunion show. A one-episode special to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the ending of Starsky and Hutch. That would be amazing. I hope it's true. But just the, the shortness of the article and the fact that it was only the sun makes me a little skeptical. But, fingers crossed, if 2020 brought us a Starsky and Hutch special, that would be amazing. I know last episode I shared um, a lot about Hutch's Star and Moon necklace, which I had bought one of. And I just discovered recently that Adidas is putting out uh, the blue Adidas sneaker, the version that Starsky wore, uh, they're reissuing it. It's this retro sneaker. So now, since we were sort of helping out Hutch cosplayers before by pointing them towards the necklace, now I can help out Starsky cosplayers by saying, yes, you can actually buy new versions of these retro sneakers now instead of looking on eBay for uh, actual versions from the 70s. And in reading the press release about Adidas reissuing these sneakers, I discovered that they were released to coincide with the 1972 Munich Olympics. And I found that really interesting because an artsy poster of a swimmer in Starsky's apartment, uh, it's like a painting, 
uh, is uh, an Olympic poster from the 72 Munich Olympics. And obviously Starsky being Jewish would have an emotional connection to those Olympics. So I found it interesting that the sneakers he wears also have a connection to those Olympics. Both Rachel and I uh, heard references to Starsky and Hutch in podcasts recently. Rachel, do you want to share yours? All right. So I read a lot of Japanese comics, manga, and um, I read a lot of MM ones specifically. And there's this podcast, the 801 podcast, that talks about MM Japanese comics. And in a recent episode, I'm not quite sure what they were talking about. It's been a little while since I heard it. Um, but they were talking a little bit about history and about, like, why people sort of, you know, ship MM couples and stuff like that. And they were talking about Slash, and classic Slash in the West came up, and they mentioned Starsky and Hutch. Which, like, I cheered. I was at work in my kitchen, but I was, like, still, I still was, like, threw my hands and I was like, yes, Starsky and Hutch! And it was, like, this combination of, like, my fandoms, which is really neat and cool. Because, you know, um, Monica mentioned this to me earlier, that, you know, when people talk about classic slash fandoms, they always mention Kirk and Spock, and Starsky and Hutch rarely come up. So this was, this was really exciting that, that that was the pull. Yeah, that's really nice for them to be remembered and their place in early fandom history to be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very cool. I sometimes think that... While people are more familiar with Kirk and Spock in an actual fanfic writing context, people generally seem more likely to think of Starsky and Hutch as, like, classic shippy TV cops. Like, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, they are the er-buddy cops, um, in an American context in particular. Mm-hmm. So, it's, yeah. it's nice to have that. So my uh, reference uh, comes specifically from the the 70s. Um, I was listening to the My Favorite Murder podcast, which I believe we've mentioned on this podcast before. And sometimes they cover things other than murders. In this case, they were covering the story of the Enfield Poltergeist, which is a haunting from the 70s, which has never been thoroughly debunked. And it happened in the UK. And there are famous pictures of the teenage girl, Janet, from the family that was being haunted, kind of being possessed and floating in the air, or maybe just jumping off of her bed. Definitely just looks like she's jumping off of her bed. Um, But either way, it means that the photographs uh, show a lot of her bedroom. And she was a teenage girl in the UK in the 70s. And her wall has big, big pinups of Starsky and Hutch on it. And so in the live show uh, where Karen and Georgia of My Favorite Murder were performing, they put up uh, one of these images on a slide and they tried to identify who the people in the poster were. Karen, who is the right age to have watched Starsky and Hutch as a kid, said it looked like Steve McQueen, specifically a picture of uh, David Soul that was closer up. Um, to be fair, she was not wearing her glasses, it sounded like, <laughs> and I think she has relatively poor eyesight. Yeah, she was not wearing her glasses uh, and the... Georgia, who was telling the story, is younger, so had less reason to be familiar with Starsky and Hutch. But the audience, the audience of uh, Britons, were very quick to identify Starsky and Hutch, and in particular David Soul. They all yelled it out. And then Karen still didn't believe it was Starsky and Hutch when people called it out, until uh, she kept staring at it and five minutes later said, Oh, okay, yeah, it is Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> 
It later led to the out-of-context quote that I love, in which Karen said, I believe in electricity and Starsky and Hutch. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, is a a wonderful thing to say at random for no particular reason. And I, I don't disagree with that statement. You know, I too believe in electricity. And Starsky and Hutch. (laughs) Yep. So that was a fun mention. It was not a particularly flattering picture of David's soul that was on this girl's wall, um, which was unfortunate. I don't... It was a fine poster. (laughs) Like, yeah, I I honestly think there are better posters of them out there, but it was fine. The picture of Paul Michael Glazer was nice, though. It was like a full body shot. He was looking cool. Yeah, but it was a lot darker, so it was harder to see that one. David's exactly. soul was much more prominent and well better lit. The advent calendar is in full swing. And so if you head over to starskyhutcharchive.net slash advent slash 2019, uh, one of the gifts from the 14th, that which is today, the day we're recording, is a rare poster of Paul Michael Glazer that was found by Angel Orb and restored by Mortmere. And it's a really nice image of Paul Michael Glazer. I don't think I'd seen it anywhere online before, so it's a really nice find. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and it's really gorgeous. We've been having a lot of fun with the advent calendar in general. I haven't gotten a chance to read much fic, but the puzzles are always fun. Um, sometimes Monica and I will do competitive jigsaw puzzling, and we also did some of the, uh, crosswords today at brunch and had a lot of fun racing each other in that. So, uh, kudos to all of the awesome fans who put up lots of different activities to do during the advent calendar, because it's been a lot of fun to play the games. Yes, I'm really enjoying this year's advent calendar, and I'm really looking forward to the final 10 days. Including a fic by Monica. <laughs> I do have a story on there. I don't know when it'll be posted, but uh, be, be kind to me when it comes up. I had the honor of beta-ing it, and it was excellent. Well, thank you. I look forward to reading it. Also, what I really like about the advent calendar, that was a meow from the cat. Who wants some attention? Hi, Annabelle. <laughs> Are you a Starsky and Hatch fan? Oh, actually, I'm going to break in here to announce that Annabelle is a Starsky girl because we held out two cat toys to her at equal distances. We identified one as Starsky. It was pinkish and one as Hutch. It was blue and tried to see which one she would go for. And she went immediately for the pink one. So in case you're wondering, Annabelle is a Starsky girl. That really outnumbers the Starsky girls to Hutch uh, girls in this space right I, now. I am so alone. No, it's <laughs> fine. They're, they're, I feel like this fandom is pretty evenly split in who's a Starsky fan and who's a Hutch fan. I mean, obviously, almost every fan that I've met loves them both a lot. Like, I th- every fan I've met loves them both a lot. But a lot of fans do have a preference towards one or the other. And honestly, it's pretty 50-50, which is nice. I would agree with that. I find that's actually pretty rare in a lot of fandoms I've been in. There's usually a fan favorite who a lot of the fans prefer quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating when, like, it's not the person you prefer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then sometimes things can switch. And then they are the favorite. And then also then people write them really badly. And then it's like, ah, okay. Well, <laughs> Sounds like anyway. you've been burned. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what I want to say before Annabelle's interruption um, was that what's really great about the advent calendar is like how much it encourages 
people to create. Like, Starsky and Hutch fandom is quite prolific still. Like, it might be small, but, like, people create a lot of stuff. But the advent calendar really just shows how much people do make. And, like, it really, like, encourages that. And it's just really, it's such a really lovely tradition. All right. I think it's time for the bloodbath. If I can reach the script. That's a question that, uh, uh, I have a cat on me right now. The script is just out of reach. So we don't know if this is going to happen or not. We can, uh, we can pause we can, until... We can, nope, 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 I got it, I got it. If we can move Annabelle. No, we got it. It's so good to have an Annabelle on you, though. Just don't freak out. Don't Annabelle freak out. is jumped on top of Rachel, and Rachel is attempting to retrieve the script, and it looks like she has, without and dislodging I, yep, the cat. I still have a cat. <laughs> Basically, oh. I am queen. Oh, well, no. the cat left now, anyway. <laughs> I mean, she's not, she's not a dedicated cat to snuggling. She likes it. But also, she's very, like, fickle. She needs to go explore, but she'll come back. And now, our feature presentation. Bloodbath. Bloodbath. Written by Ron Friedman, directed by Paul Michael Glazer. And by written by Ron Friedman, we mean first drafted by Ron Friedman, (laughs) almost entirely rewritten for the screen, because there is so little of this script actually in the episode proper, and for good reason. Well, I mean, there are actually quite a lot of segments where it is pretty close, to be fair, but then there's also, like, pages and pages that are not. (laughs) Okay, so... The script did open with them getting Hutch's car uh, to Merle to fine-tune. So that was the similar. It was slightly different, though. I mean, and it lets the, it sets up for Hutch using Starsky's car the whole episode. So we still get the iconic Torino, even though Starsky is out of the picture. I know a, a lot of fanfic writers like to say that Hutch was using the Torino to feel close to Starsky while Starsky was kidnapped. But I guess the actual explanation is his car was still in the shop. Yep, for the whole time. Um, when Starsky and Hutch are coming up the court steps, passing all of the cultists who are chanting, Simone, 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 Simone. Starsky starts snapping along in time to it and is making jokes about it being the next uh, pop hit. Yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little crass. Uh, Hush does say, yeah, from the album, music to bring the gas chamber back. But, you know, I mean, they're, they're this, you know, the people did kill a bunch of people. Um, there's, you know, the suggestion of child molestation later on. Um, but yeah, that was something that did not make the episode, of course, because that's very unfamiliar for those very familiar with this episode. There was a little exchange that I thought was funny. I don't know if we want to read it, but the one where... The reporter calls them tireless. Ooh, and yes. Okay, here. So, as they walk up the steps, the TV reporter uh, says, And here are Detective Starsky and Hutchinson, the dedicated police officers who brought about the arrest and conviction of Simon Marcus through their tireless efforts. And then Starsky and Hutch quit back. What tireless? I'm pooped. And Hutch replies, We think it's a vitamin deficiency. <laughs> it made me laugh. <laughs> but I think it's good evidence of banter that's not really necessary, especially 
because of how serious this episode gets. And I think this is going to become a repeated theme when we go through this, but there's a lot in the direction that makes this into something a lot more sinister and a lot more understated. And the script is very over the top, very quippy, very zany in a way that would not fit the tone that the episode ultimately took. So I think it's a good choice. Um, Even though up here, before we get into the drama of the episode, it might have been okay. I still think it was probably a good directorial choice to pull back here. Honestly, I've been a little judgmental about Paul Michael Glazer's directorial choices in the past, but seeing the comparison between script and direction in this episode in particular has made me appreciate what a good job he actually does do. Speaking to the understated things, you know, like that that blood on the mirror that just says Starsky is very striking in the episode, but in the script, you know, they very much overdo it. It's supposed to say, um, it had been planned to say at least, free Simone or Starsky dies, and there was supposed to be blood all over the bathroom. So, like, really, like, pulling back to make a more sinister atmosphere um, was definitely a, a good choice. Similarly, Simone, when he was brought into the courtroom, was originally supposed to have a shaved head, a beard, uh, the inverted cross on his forehead, and also be wearing his, like, white robe, <laughs> which I don't <laughs> think the jail would allow him to be wearing a white robe, so having him in just sort of uh, like a denim jumpsuit and uh, with, you know, bushy kind of wild hair, but not like some of these characters were supposed to have mohawks. I I think they really wanted them to seem a lot more cartoony evil and giving them a more understated look, often having the cultists in street clothing rather than robes, um, ha- having a more judicial use of the robes or or more um saving them for the ceremonies right i i think gave them a better impact and dialing down on the cartoon cartoonishness of simone helped a lot unsurprisingly the script does explicitly refer to him in stage direction as manson-esque or manson type i can't remember the exact word charles manson type i think yeah charles manson type we all know that this is based on Charles Manson. Everyone watching this at the time knew it was based on Charles Manson. Um, But having that confirmed explicitly um, is is interesting. It turns out, though, in the script, they were going to include another ripped from the headlines reference. Most of you listening probably know about the 1974 kidnapping of Patty Hearst by the Simeonese Liberation Army um, and her subsequent um, possibly uh, consensual, possibly not decision to join them and defend them. Um, after that kidnapping, it became sort of a, a classic um, instance of so-called Stockholm Syndrome, although there's a lot of debate about how um, much she was actually being manipulated. Either way, this was obviously a big story. She was an heir to the Hearst fortune. Um, and it would have been a huge deal in the mid-70s. And so we all know the character of Gail in this episode, the um, young woman who befriends Starsky when he is abducted. Um, Rachel, you want to describe more about the story, backstory we get for Gail here? All right. So 
for Gail, what we're told is that uh, she was kidnapped um, by some some cultists, um, and then it thought that she might be kidnapped for political reasons. Uh, her family are very wealthy. They live in a mansion. And then a few months ago, her parents stopped looking for her. And as it turns out, it's because they got a letter and decided that, you know, she was fine where she was, I guess. <laughs> this is definitely something we will um, read when we do scene readings, because it's, it's, it's a very meaty scene, I think, in some ways. I think it was one of the biggest surprises reading through the script that Gail had this entire backstory and that we meet her parents. None of that makes it into the episode. Gail is very central to the episode as a, as a one-off character because she's instrumental in, you know, keeping Starsky... Well, not, not dead. Not dead. <laughs> she's supposed to, you know, slash him and she really holds off until the last second and then Hutch is there, so... And she cuts him Starsky needs free. needs to be there if you're going to slash Starsky. Well, yes. Or, well, not necessarily. But <laughs> I had to go for the easy joke. I, I guess I was backtracking on how instrumental Gil was into Starsky's survival, but she did cut him free at the last second instead of cutting him. So I, I'd say she was pretty instrumental. And uh, so an important character in the episode, but nowhere near as developed uh, as in the script. And I think it's interesting to have that development, but at the same time, doing two major obvious ripped from the headline stories mashed into one is a little bit overkill. I think the Manson thing works a lot better for the context of Starsky and Hutch and the tone of the show, um, especially if we're just having one episode. I could imagine a different episode with a Patty Hearst analog, but I don't think putting them both into one episode would have been that useful. So I'm kind of glad that story was cut. Mm -hmm. There is still one slight reference to it, just because one of the um, men in the group does say, you know, since we took you. Um, but that's like, they've been shown to be kidnapping. Well, they said kidnapping co-eds. So, you know, like, we know that that's what they do already, so... Yeah, we but we don't have an idea that she's, like, this heiress no, who was kidnapped not. but then no, decided no. to be a full-on cult member. Mm -hmm. The other big surprise, Rachel... The, the exciting surprise! Alright, so the, the big twist here is that we get more talk about Hutch's mom. <laughs> yes, in this script, while Hutch is talking with Simone in a prison cell... Simone is listing all the places uh, his followers are, perhaps. Uh, he says, like, in the, in, the, in the water, you know, in the wind, in your mother's kitchen, in Duluth. And indeed, there is, was a poisoner that poisoned Hutch's mom in this episode. Yes, Hutch's mom is okay, so don't get freaked out. But she is poisoned. She has to get rushed to the hospital. And then Hutch uh, has to decide whether it's more important for him to go home and be with his mom or to continue looking for Starsky. And this might be a scene that we'll read, so I don't think I'll tell you any more about that quite yet. But it is pretty great. Um, and I especially like that it implies that Hutch is close to his mom. I feel like there's not a lot of fic I've seen 
that portrays uh, Hutch as close to either of his parents. And I like this version of Hutch, who does have a close relationship with his mom, who's instantly panicked when he feels like his mom is in danger, or knows that his mom is in danger. It, it gives me a different interpretation of Mrs. Hutchinson that I would love to see explored more. Yeah, the only other references we have to her are the fact that he doesn't call her weekly, like Starsky calls his mom, but that doesn't mean that he's not close to her. And, um, like, when I was in school, I never called my mom, and, you know, I'm very close with my mom, because um, I'm a bad daughter. You're not <laughs> but, a bad daughter. Um, but, um, and the fact that she was really proud that her son was going to be in a movie in, in the season one, Murder on Stage 17. Like, that's all we ever hear about her. So it was nice to, nice to see, um, another instance. Yeah, I know there is a script for an episode that they never filmed, where Hutch learns that a flight that his mother and sister are on, possibly his mother, father, and sister, but I remember for sure his mother and his sister uh, has disappeared. And it's just sort of like a stress on him throughout the episode. It's sort of a Hutch's worst day type episode where he's got tons of crappy stuff going on. And then like in the end, he has to crawl through a collapsing tunnel to save a boy but then at the end he saves the boy and he finds out his the plane was found and his family are fine. But um, that was never filmed, so it's not really, it's not canon. I want to see that episode, though. Someone should make it. If this script existed, I would love to see like a fan-produced uh, version of extra episodes. That would be fun. One thing that would be interesting. Um, I'd love you to read one of the uh, stage directions for how Simone Marcus was going to act, just to demonstrate how different the way he's portrayed is from the way he was written. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's one of the biggest differences. I think the actor um, who plays Simone Marcus is very good and apparently hung out with Charles Manson for a time in real life. Um, So he knew what he was doing. And I think the choices that he made at uh, Paul Michael Glazer's direction are much stronger than they would have been um, had they been conducted as written. Um, So let me just find the... Annabelle! Hi, baby cat! Are we ignoring you, precious? Don't get me mad, he bites, so do I. (laughs) Do you want to mention that? Yes. While we're waiting for Rachel to uh, flip through the pages and find the Simone Marcus scenes, it is worth mentioning that when uh, Starsky is confronting the bear, which is still my favorite thing, uh, and is told that the bear bites, Starsky snaps back, don't worry, so do I. That is not in the script. So I have to imagine that was a choice on Paul Michael Glazer's part, and I love him for it. I Probably. mean, so was him being real naked. <laughs> I will say this could be an early script. We we don't know if they punched up the script after getting some additional writers. And then we don't know if this is the script they were actually going off of. It's very likely that this was an earlier draft. That's true. But I'd like to think it was a Paul Michael Glazer ad lib because that would be great. Okay, I'm going to read a couple things. So, Hutch, this is the first scene that Hutch goes to see Simone. 
Hutch looks at Simone, barely able to restrain himself, and Simone smirks, enjoying it. Then, he begins chanting his name, Simone, Simone, etc., in a low sing-song manner, watching Hutch boil. This so pleases Simone that he begins to laugh as he takes seat at table, saying his name faster and faster, laughing harder. Then he suddenly drops laughter and giggles softly, as though amused in a distracted way. Simone moves through moods with mercurial insanity, a volatile, dangerous paranoid. Which is definitely not what we got in the episode. <laughs> and it's so much less threatening than what we finally get. Like, I'm just imagining, Simone, 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 Simone! <laughs> like, yep. that's what's being described, and that's not scary. Nope. And I just blew out the microphone. I'm sorry, Yeah. <laughs> also, like, this guy is a cult leader, and I feel like cult leaders have to have a fair amount of charisma, and... The guy that we're presented with in the episode, you can see he that even though he's kind of unkempt and creepy, that he does have some charisma and a sort of a confidence and force of personality that could draw people in. The guy described here, just, like, he sounds annoying. I've been following a lot of the news around the Nexium cult and the way that it was taken down. Um, and hearing interviews with their leader, Keith Raniere, and a lot of the intonation, a lot of the I'm definitely smarter than you attitude, um, I saw reflected in this performance of Simone. Um, obviously this episode came out years and years before, um, Nexium was a thing and was most clearly based on, um, Charles Manson, but I do think that there is... A, a cult leader uh, attitude or a cult leader persona that is being tapped into with precision here um, and that you see repeated throughout um, the the sort of arrests of charismatic leaders of cults over time. Yeah, definitely in the script, it felt, you know, we, we mentioned that they were going for more out there, more cartoony villains um, whereas in the show, they were very much like, no, these were like, you know, kids who were looking for something and this guy could provide it, you know? And I think with the chanting, there's a bit of Kari Krishna um, also implied in the, the portrayal here, especially with the robes and that sort of thing. Obviously, Hare Krishna was not a dangerous cult in the same way that Manson's cult was, but I do think, like, the 70s were a time when thinking about the the dangers of a whole bunch of young people getting swept up in a movement um, was very much in the public consciousness. um, And you want to portray that as accurately as possible. I've got a cat who wants to cuddle. Okay. Um, Annabelle wants to eat the script. (laughs) So here's one more. Um, This is from the the second scene with Simone um, after the whole van stuff happens. And in the show, of course, Hutch is very, like, quiet and desperate and is just like, please just tell me stuff, you know? And is, like, pleading to Simone's better nature if one exists. That's not in the script. (laughs) Okay, so this first line is a line that actually did make it into the show. The rest of it did not. Ain't that too much? Hutch allows a beat of laughter and then slaps Simone sharply. You aren't allowed to do that! Do what? 
From where I sit, it looks like you're beating your head against the wall, just like you bit through your own lip. Hutch slaps Simon again, not too hard. Simone laughs throughout. You mustn't strike Simone! It isn't done! And then Hutch goes and does his pleading, you know, I don't expect this to mean anything to you. It's, so not only is Simone so different from the script to the episode, but Hutch's interaction with him, because Simone says in the actual episode, you're the white knight, and Hutch admits defeat. He doesn't say anything, but you can see him react, his face, his expression. He's thinking, yeah, I, I can't hurt Simone. I can't threaten him with physical violence. I can't threaten him at all. And then Hutch switches gears and just tries to play to Simone's nature of wanting to give out these cryptic clues. He says Simone loves to play games, and so he has to play along and hope that one of the clues he gives out is enough to find Starsky. And that's, I find, so much more satisfying, especially since I hate it when our heroes engage in police brutality. Of course, that's terrible. And yet it happens so often in cop shows. Um, So I'm glad that this turned out much different from the script. And in the, you know, because the White Knight line is in the script, uh, clearly Hudge is like, fuck you, I'm still gonna beat you up. Because, like, he injures Simone's hand. Um, there's a big thing in this scene about how his hand is all bandaged up, and then, of course... Wait, but do we know Hutch injured it? I think he must have. I, I... Because we do know that Simone bites through his own lip, causing it to bleed in this script. So, like, that part was Simone, and so when Hutch slaps him and says, well, you bit through your own lip, the guards will believe you just hit your own head... I honestly don't know if we're supposed to believe that Hutch injured his hand. It's Let me possible, double check but... this. Either way, like this, this plays out so ridiculously in the script. It's very much the "Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself?" that like siblings in the back seat of a car do to each other. It's not scary or or threatening in any way, and. Simone doesn't seem to have any power at all if he's saying you can't hit me after he's already been hit twice. Whereas the very controlled Simone saying you can't hit me um, is much more threatening in the actual episode as filmed. Because as Monica said, like it implies that Hutch knows that he can't. That there is a lot that he is powerless to do in that scenario and that's what makes it all the more tense Uh, And raises the stakes. Especially since studies have been shown threats of physical violence are much less likely to get you information than cozying up to someone you want information from and be like trying to offer them something, being buddy-buddy with them. Not to get too heavy or anything, but torture does not work to actually get accurate information. Okay, so I found a scene. It does not say specifically that he injures his hand. What Hutch does is he throws Simone against the wall, then throws him against the other wall, turns him around, pins Simone's arm behind his back, and hooks his own elbow around Simone's throat from behind. Wow. So so he might not actually physically injure his hand. He does rough him up. Okay, yeah. Also, the line that Hutch says before he does that is, and I quote, 
Maybe you could con your people in the press into buying you as some kind of mysterious Superman of evil, but not me. I know you, Simone Marcus, alias Sal Martin, alias Sid the Shiv, alias a dozen more phony IDs, and I know your real name, punk. Two-bit dirtbag pervert punk. Like, it's so over the top and so out of character. And also Sid the Shiv was the best alias that this writer could come up with. I will say that that first part was in the episode. Yeah, I think, the first though. part was sure. Um, it's I I just wanted to set up yeah, the context for okay. it. The first part of it is the best part of that. It's the second half that's bad. Okay. <laughs> yes. Sit the ship. Should we then go ahead and uh, read the part with Hutch's mom? Yes. Okay. All right. So we've got Jen on narration, Monica as Dobie, and I will be playing Hutch. Interior squad room. Hutch watching intently as Dobie concludes phone conversation. Yes, thank you, Lieutenant Swanson. Dobie hangs up and says to Hutch, It's not good. Your mother's been taken to the hospital. It looks like poisoning. I've got to get to the airport. There's an afternoon flight to Minneapolis. I can make connections from there. Starsky. Captain. There's nothing you can do in Minnesota. The doctors can't do better. Stay on Starsky's case here. I'll fly our top man in toxicology out to help your mom. Hutch is distracted, unable to choose. I'd trade my life for Starsky's if I thought it'd do any good, but my mother, she's no part of this. I'll make it easy. You're a cop, Hutchinson, and you're on a case. A kidnapping, and you've got a lead. He holds out a newspaper cutout. This was found in the back of the van at the Crow Ranch. And it is a newspaper clipping about Gail, the heiress, being missing. Gail Harcourt. First, it looked like she'd been kidnapped by commune crazies. Then it was reported some fringe political group had her. Then it was rumored she was with Simone. And three months ago, the Harcourt stopped looking for her. Now why would loving parents do that? Unless they knew where she was. I've got to talk to them. He starts, stops, looks at Dobie supplicatingly. Do the job you do best, Hutch. I'll call you at the Harcourts as soon as I hear about your mom. Do I have to make that an order? Hutch nods, looks at Gail's photo, and starts out. Alright, so there we start getting into the Harcourt um, stuff, the Gail's backstory. Um, I don't think we necessarily have to read the whole Harcourt scene, but there is the one bit that I want to read that, again, has to do with Hutch's mom. Sure. I just want to say the fact that Hutch has a hard time choosing between his mother and Starsky is heartbreaking and amazing that this is definitely like the Sophie's choice for Hutch. Um, That he just doesn't know what to do and he has to have Dobie make the choice for him because in his mind his mom and Hutch are, or his mom and Starsky are of equal status. Um, And I love it. And when Starsky says, don't make me choose, it's between Hutch and the Torino. (laughs) Okay, um, I think we're going to start from here. So, Mr. and Mrs. Harcourt have basically been stonewalling Hutch. Um, They don't want to give Hutch any information about their daughter. And it turns out that she sent them a letter. Alright, so now Monica's playing Mrs. Harcourt, I'm still Hutch, and Jen is still narrating. So I have a letter from my daughter that I don't want to show Hutch. 
that was intended for our eyes only. I won't violate my daughter's trust by exposing her deepest feelings. There's a sacred bond that exists between mother and child. But I don't expect you to understand. This gets to him. He fights for control. Faces Mrs. Harcourt, barely able to restrain his strong emotions. Give me that letter. Now! Mrs. Harcourt reacts, defenses crumbling, and tearfully takes letter from desk drawer, handing it to Hutch as Mr. Harcourt goes to her. So with that, I think there's definitely what the writer was getting at was a connection, was a parallel between Gail and Mrs. Harcourt, her mother, and Hutch and his mother, because that line, there's a sacred bond that exists between mother and child, reminding Hutch that his mother is dying, um, and Starsky's life is in danger, and it's because of her daughter, you know, and she's not helping, you know, so I feel there's some connection there that the writer wanted. Yeah, it's one of the better <laughs> moments of writing in a otherwise pretty overwritten script. Yeah, I would have loved to see that, like, reaction of Hutch being like, my mom's, you know, that, like, my mom's dying. How dare you talk about, like, my mother mother and child mm-hmm. connections. That we wouldn't have gotten verbally, but visually, you know, I think that would have been a a great moment to uh, see. Especially because I, I think it's worth mentioning that this is a particularly good episode for David Soul. I think he does a really good job throughout in what does become a pretty restrained performance. And I think that he, he carries it all really well. And I think he could have pulled off um, the mom plot line, too. There's one more section regarding the mom, and this is in the tag of the episode. This is how the tag starts. So I am the narrator here. Uh, Rachel will be Hutch, and Jen will be Starsky. The Trino jerks, charges, stops, and moves on. Hutch drives as Starsky shakes his head. It's your foot. It must weigh a ton and a half. Gently, gently, turn here. So your mom's going to be okay? Talked to her this morning. Duluth's finest picked up Simone's poisoner. The sucker was trying to score some H at the public library. In Duluth? Shocking! No wonder Judge Yeager gave Marcus 900 years. Pointing out window. Okay, start easing up. With a feather foot for a change. So, and then they go and get the car. Um, but yeah, there we get, um, Marcus's... Simone's uh, sentence, and we also know that Hutch's mom is okay, and that the guy who poisoned her tried to get some heroin at the public library. I will say in the final tag scene in the script, Starsky loves what Merle did to the inside of Hutch's car. He he even (laughs) says, look, glow-in-the-dark dice. We also noticed for the first time that the uh, steering wheel cover is zebra print, which is kind of lovely. And if it was just that, it might be pretty cool, but I don't think there's any redeeming that shag, like, interior carpeting (laughs) in the muddy browns and oranges. It'd be fuzzy, though. It would be, you would get dirty so fast. It would be so gross so quickly. So, Yeah. That was Bloodbath. Secret storylines that never made it into the episode. But we had to cut it. We needed to have more time for that one guy to say semen over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) You could have cut a second of that. (laughs) Yeah, there very much was, um, you know, it is kind of a slower paced episode. 
there's a lot of like very like contemplative moments i would say but there's also some action i love that dobie gets into the action in this episode and in the script dobie even comes uh into the fight at the zoo at the very end they're in the fight at the zoo and dobie charges up with everybody else and like He's running around in a three-piece suit. Anyway, it's cool to see Dobie in the field. Um, and I, I think this is a good Dobie episode. Um, and Dobie is really nice in that thing that we read um, where he's helping Hutch make that decision. It's just good Dobie stuff uh, overall, um, which is really nice. I want to know what happens to the bear. I'm really concerned about that bear. Animal control. They rest the guys and then they call animal control. Maybe. Maybe. I hope. That bear needs a good home. Any final thoughts? I have a final thought. Call your dad, you're in a cult. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> um, or write a letter to your dad, you're in a cult. Um, so I we know Hutch isn't much one for the holidays, but Starsky is. And so, especially since Hanukkah and Christmas cross over this year, I hope everyone has a happy holiday season. Uh, if you celebrate any of those, uh, if you celebrate New Year's, uh, if you don't celebrate anything at all, I hope you have a pleasant winter time. Um, and if you're not in winter, I hope you have a pleasant summer time. Wherever you are, I hope you have a pleasant time. <laughs> yes, we, we always hope for the best for our listeners. And thank you for listening and supporting us um your uh comments um and and the love that you've given us uh are a gift all year round how do i top that (laughs) uh if you have comments to give us you can leave them on our website me and the in three.com you can tweet us at uh me the three on twitter or you can email us at meandtheand3 at gmail.com. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Amy works in a bar in Exeter. I went back to her house and I slept beside her. She woke up screaming in the middle of the night. Terrified of her own insides. Dreams of pirate ships and Patsy Hurst Breaking through the life of a rust She can't remember which came first House, the home, or the terrible thirst She keeps having dreams Would Starsky and Hutch remember their anniversary? Yeah. Or would one of them remember it? If they were married... Would they? Who would remember? Who would forget? It depends on how busy they are, because I think if they're involved in work, I think it they would both let it slip. If it's relatively quiet for whatever they're doing, whether they're still on the force or not, um, I would say Starsky would remember and Hutch would forget just because he's involved in some other stuff. That would be my thing. That's my instinctive response, too. Yeah, maybe at that point, Hutch has decided that he is going to stop following the Gregorian calendar. 
um, because of some new health trend he has picked up um, that requires you to use a different calendar. And so that's why he completely misses it, because it's like Flumbleberry instead of November. Um, I would read that story I because it sounds funny. I don't think... I don't think Hutch is going to forsake the, the Gregorian calendar, though. Um, he might decide that anniversaries are just uh, put on by Hallmark cards and to sell jewelry, and he might try to dissuade Starsky that they, they don't need to celebrate anniversaries. But I think he'd actually want to. Yeah. It would very much be like, he thinks he shouldn't care about them, but he still does. I like these plans.